And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where we get to spend time together on the weekends, deepening our walk with God and really kind of carousing through the conversations happening at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I am Ace McKay, where we love to really jumpstart each week looking at the readings for this weekend's Mass. So let's get your look first at the Word on the Word. Talking about the devil, demons, and possessions can be terrifying. They are real. They're not just stories. But Jesus never wants us to be afraid. God is always bigger than our fears, just like in the Sunday's Gospel. This weekend, we're taking a look at Mark's gospel. In it, we hear about Jesus' teaching, his casting out demons, and his healing on the Sabbath. When Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, a man possessed by an unclean spirit cried out to him. It said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Christ commanded, quiet, come out of him. The spirit left the man, and he was healed. I think it's important to note that the spirit names Jesus' identity out of fear. It realizes his divinity and power. This is totally different from Peter acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah later on in the Gospel of Mark. Peter's acknowledgement was one of love and devotion to Christ. Going back to spiritual warfare, there's one intercessor we can call upon to aid us in our spiritual battles, and that's St. Michael the Archangel. Christian tradition gives St. Michael four offices, one of which is to fight against Satan. Your challenge is to pray the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel anytime you feel tempted this week. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Well, when God's Word doesn't make sense, hopefully Word on the Word can help you with that. If you want to go back and check out previous weeks that you might have missed, find out more at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. As Catholics Coast to Coast continues, we want to jump into the conversation happening with Pints with Aquinas. As we're understanding, there are five rules that every man must break, and we're actually presenting from a manhood for the Maximus Men's Ministry Network with a little q and Iva Kakova is actually a part of the Archdiocese of Sydney's Summer Series and is helping to break down these five rules for us to better understand with Pints with Aquinas on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. Thank you very much. It is good to be here. So how many of you did come from New Zealand? Okay. It's very impressive. It's lovely to have you. Anyone come from out of state? There's no way this talk will live up to whatever you think it's going to be. Um, and am I right in thinking we've got some of our Protestant brothers and sisters here? This must be freaking you out, eh? It, 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 good to see you, Paul. It, it's, a, it's an honour to have you. I have great admiration for many Protestants. I've learnt a great deal from many of them and hopefully I can return the favour and say something that might be helpful tonight. The West is not struggling with toxic masculinity. The West is struggling with a toxic lack of masculinity. And so it's wonderful to hear us all chanting Latin together in a very masculine way. I just got a text from my daughter earlier, and I thought it summed up why I love being a man. I thought I'd share it with you. She's beautiful. Her name is Avila. Oof, she's just good. She said, I miss you, Dad. This is exactly what I texted back, not thinking I would then share it. I love you, Avila, and if anyone ever hurts you, I will give you their decapitated head as a present. (laughs) She responded with a laughing, crying emoji. So I think she was laughing, I'm not sure. 
Well, I, I hope to speak for about 30 minutes tonight and then we'll do some kind of Q&A, which is always my favourite part. Ah, I think there'll be two parts to this little sharing. I think what I want to do first is share with us what we hopefully already know, namely, who we desire to be in our heart of hearts is in fact who God is commanding us to be. In other words, God's commandments towards us do not necessitate the repression, deflation of our deepest desires, but rather call them forth. And then I want to share with us five rules I think every man needs to break. Rules in some way or another that we've been told since we were young, if we desire to be good men and the men God wants us to be. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis. Most of the quotes from C.S. Lewis are great. He says, when we consider the unblushing promise of reward in the Gospels from Christ, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures falling about with drink, sex, and ambition while infinite joy is being offered to us. We are like a peasant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he does not know what is meant by the offer to vacation at sea. And I think there is this idea, this lie that is told to us by the demons that if we really were to give ourselves fully to God, to really and to manfully sever those immature and disgraceful behaviors that we were indoctrinated into as boys and which we have been justifying because of our own cowardice up until this point, if we were to sever them, that we would somehow become less, less than who we want to be, somehow inhibited. But this is a great lie. Christ says in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I have three questions I want to pose to you, and these are rhetorical questions. That is not meant for you to respond to out loud. But I think they help us understand this point that I'm trying to make, that who I actually want to be is, in fact, who God is commanding us to be. All right? So here they are. I'll ask the questions, and you just have to be brutally honest, even if it's not the answer I want, even if it's terribly shameful not what your grandma would have you say, doesn't matter. Here are the questions. Very, very general at first, okay? What kind of man do I want to be? What kind of bloody man do I want to be? Another question. What kind of men do I respect? Fictional or not? dead or alive? What, are the, what kind of men do I respect? And then finally, how do I want to be remembered when I'm dead? We're all going to die. Some of you sooner than later, by the look of you. <laughs> and they'll roll you up to the front of the church and someone will get up and hopefully not give a canonization speech, but beg for the prayers of the congregation on your behalf. What do you want them to be able to say about you and mean? You know, it occurred to me recently that the number one question people will be asking after my funeral is, 
sorry, where's the potato salad? Isn't that pitiless? I mean, think about it. If you died right now in the seat, yeah, there'd be a lot of bloody commotion. The priests would offer a prayer. We'd all be very just shocked. We might say a rosary for you or something. But I'd still have a cigar tonight. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I'd probably sleep just fine. And you would too. You know, like, well, not the dead one, but the rest of us. I mean, like, we, we would, the pitilessness of death, eh? But how do I want to be remembered? When I ask myself that question, what kind of man do I want to be? <clears throat> I don't know, I just have the same answer you would have, unless you're joking or an idiot, which is good, you know? Like, I want to be the kind of man others can depend upon. I don't want to abandon my wife and children for things that I say are more important than them or act as if they are more important than them. Um, I want to give my strength to my bride. I don't want to screw around on my bride. I don't want to be an adulterer. You know, I get the temptation to be an absolute profligate. I get it, but I don't want it. Really, I don't want it. I remember when I was a kid, my best friend's father abandoned their family where it was common knowledge that he was with prostitutes and whatever else he was doing. He comes back, moves into government housing, fat, bleach blonde hair. He was an Italian dude, so bleach blonde hair did not look good on him. Thick shell necklace. And whenever I am tempted, whenever the flesh comes calling for me to go back to porn, you know, or to just rationalize my weakness, I think of the fat man with a shell necklace. And I know that sounds heartless, but I, I don't want to be like that, you know? I want to be a good man. What kind of men do I respect? When I think of this, obviously I think of Gandalf, clearly, but <laughs> then I think of Maximilian Kolbe, Franciscan priest, lived during the Second World War, as many of you know. He was arrested. He had, uh, I think he had a few, at least a few hundred Jews hiding in his basement or in, in the rectory or wherever he was living, the friary. He was taken to the Powiak prison at Warsaw, thrown into the cell with one other fella. He was then transferred to Auschwitz. And at Auschwitz, they had a rule that if someone tried to escape, they would randomly read off the numbers of, that were printed on the uniforms and 10 of you would be sent to the starvation bunker. So this actually happened. Someone made a run for it, and the guard came out and started listing off these numbers. And at one point, the number of a man named Franciszek Gajewniczek was called. And he immediately pleaded for mercy, saying that he had a wife and, a, and children, as if the guard was going to be like, ah, all right, <laughs> you little ragamuffin. Father Colbe, whose number had not been called, shuffled forward. He shuffled because he was sick and he couldn't speak very well because he was sick. And he comes up to the guard and he says, I'd like to take his place. And the guard says, what? Who are you? I'm a Catholic priest. Well, why would you want to do a thing like that? And he gives the guard an answer he knew he would accept. He says, well, this man is strong and useful. I'm sick and old. The guard just ushered the men away to this starvation bunker. Apparently they were used to hearing 
screams and pleas for mercy from that bunker. And perhaps they did hear that, but I'm told, I was just in Auschwitz recently, I got to go to this bunker, that what they heard were the men singing songs, <laughs> like what we just did here, Ave Maria, you know, because Kolbe is leading these men in prayer, hearing their confession, praying with them. How about you? But if I'm a guard and I'm trying to punish you and you start singing, Ave, shut up. It's kind of cool. They said that uh, when they would go in, the guards would go in throughout this time to empty the waste buckets, that they were empty because the men were eventually drinking their own urine, scratching the mud out of the walls, trying to satiate themselves in any way they could. And eventually they all begin to die, except towards the end there was Father Colbe and a few other men. And they needed the bunker for something else and they weren't gonna wait around, so they came in with a lethal injection and there was Father Colbe slouched over in the corner where usually he would be kneeling or standing. And the story goes, he raised up his arm to receive the needle and he said, Ave Maria. This was on the 14th of August. And then the next day, on the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, his body was incinerated. And I hear a story like that, and you hear a story like that, and we all go, yes, like I would very much like to be cool like that. Um, but how, how, how do you become a man like that? I mean, an infusion of grace for sure. <clears throat> but I'm quite convinced that you don't become anywhere close to that by living the kind of life that modern Australian men live or that I live. Like you don't become like that through just watching reruns of Netflix and the occasional porn that you then go to confession for and feel kind of bad about. And like, I don't think that equals that. And I've been thinking that it's probably not the case, though who knows, Cardinal Pell pray for us. It's probably not the case that we'll be imprisoned for the faith, but we might be. But I know that I wanna be faithful in the small things, because I think if I can be faithful in the small things, I might be able to be faithful in the big things should they ever be called of me. All right, I wanna share with you five rules every man must break. Number one, never get into a fight. <coughs> First fight I ever got into was uh, in high school. I had just made that traumatic shift from primary school to high school in a small country town, South Australia. And when we moved over, a bunch of the public school kids kind of rushed in as well because their parents didn't want to pay for a Catholic education all the way up, who could blame them? But they wanted to at least give them a high school education. So all of a sudden, we got all these bloody public school kids and I didn't know much about them, but I was pretty sure they were into crack and worshipping Satan. <laughs> so I was a bit nervous. And about the third day, I'm sitting in history class, and this fella, his name, well, I nearly said his name, but I won't because it's being recorded. We'll, we'll call his name John, though his name was Mark Scolland. <laughs> Mark turned around, he looked at me, and he went, oi. Actually, he was 13, so he went, oi. <laughs> Sounded a lot more intimidating. I want to fight you. That's what he said. 
and I sized him up. I'm like, I could probably take him. So I went, I said, why? And he said, because I don't like you. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, he's a straight shooter, Mark. So they're right, oh. So we agreed to meet at a park up the road from my house to fight. And I was getting myself hyped. I was walking home from school, breaking bloody sticks over my 13-year-old skinny white legs. And uh, if I did have the Karate Kid on VHS, I would have watched it. But I didn't. So I just waited until my friend Eric came over to my house. And we rode up on our little BMX bikes. And he didn't show up. We waited. Didn't show up. So then Eric had this genius idea. He said, what if we go to his house? <laughs> and my you know, frontal cortex not being fully developed, I was like, that's bloody fantastic, <laughs> Eric. So we got on our bikes and we rode over to Mark's house. And I went up to the door and I knocked on the screen door and Mark came to the door and he opened it and then he ran not back inside the house, but past me, which was weird. And in front of his front yard to the next lot, which was a little park covered, surrounded with trees. Cool, he's running away from me, I thought. So I walk over. Turned out this was a setup. Eric was in on it, and they had a bunch of grade 12 kids there, and they wanted to see a fight. And I was immediately regretting coming. And they started saying, you know, we want to see a fight. And I was terrified, if I'm honest with you. I wish this was a cooler story. But that is not what happened. Instead, I was like, oh, nah, 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 I'm, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Something like that, you know. And uh, even, even Mark seemed to be getting nervous. And, and then they started pushing us into each other. Now, I'm not terribly strong. And I wasn't as a kid. But I've always been unusually flexible. So I, I lifted, I, I kicked him. Like, I, I didn't know if I kicked him, but I just, I lifted my foot up like that. And I didn't, I didn't know if I made contact or not. The circle broke open and I took the chance and ran. And I got on my bike and I rode home. Uh, just at first the adrenaline was pumping, but halfway through I'm like, I cannot believe I just ran away from a fight. This is ridiculous. I felt sick. You ever been to a fight? You just feel sick. No, good. Um, so I get home and I've got this plan about how I'm going to tell my mum I'm too sick to go to school tomorrow. I'm not going to come out and say I'm too sick. She won't buy that. So instead, I'm going to go, Jay's feeling a bit sick. I should be fine, though, pumped for school tomorrow. And then I woke up in the morning, coughed a bit more, and she went, no, you're going to school. Right. So she drove me to school. She'd always drop us off early, probably just wanted us out of the house, bless her. And I was standing by the lockers, right, with my bag, waiting for the abuse to begin. It's like third day of high school, ran away from a fight. Only it didn't come. A different story was circulating. This big fella called Glengean Caspro <laughs> came up to me and he went, hey, Freddy, is it true what people are saying? What are they saying? Well, they said that you and Mark were at that park by his house. Yeah, yeah, that one. And they were pushing you and you kicked him in the face and said I'm done here and left <laughs> I, I mean is that what happened yeah no that's 
Yep, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> so I got to feel like a champion for about half hour. When I say we need to break the rule never to get into a fight, I mean it. Um, I think the masculine genius is strength on behalf of others. And that's going to require fighting. You know, fighting for our daughters, fighting for our brothers, fighting for our family. And that might mean it physical, it might not mean that. It certainly means breaking the rule to just be nice. When you live in a pagan society such as Australia or America, being nice is not an option. Being kind is good. Not wanting to cause offense for no good reason is good. But the truth is offensive to those who wish to live in falsehood. Just like the light is offensive to those who wish to remain in darkness. Ask my wife at six in the morning when I turned the light on to fly here to Australia. She was very upset. So we are, if we wish to be faithful Christians, it's going to require us to speak the truth in charity, which is going to absolutely outrage certain people. And far, it'd be a far better thing to outrage them than to be silent. And that's because we have enemies. You know, the miraculous medal, which many of you are familiar with, around the circumference says, O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. But the full prayer continues, and for those who do not have recourse to thee, especially the enemies of the church and those we recommend to thee. It shouldn't be surprising to you to realize that we have enemies. We desire to convert them for their salvation. The enemies of the church desire to convert the Christians for our damnation. We absolutely are in a spiritual battle. And it seems to me that many people keep quoting the line from Fulton Sheen, who, to paraphrase, said, there aren't a hundred people who hate the Catholic church, but there are millions who hate what they believe the church to be. Far be it from me to disagree with Fulton Sheen, but I just disagree with Fulton Sheen. I think there are a lot of people who hate the Catholic Church because they know what the church teaches. St. Paul says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, speaking of this, I posted this the other day. You may have seen it. I was reading the book of Acts, and I came across this passage of St. Paul where he encounters a magician. And I want you just to see here how St. Paul practices non-judgment. And St. Paul wishes to journey with those of different backgrounds and different perspectives. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? I think much of Christianity in the name of kindness has just become soft and effeminate. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we need to be brash or, or arrogant or uh, uncaring and unsympathetic to those who are immersed in sin. You and I know what that's like. Maybe we know what that's like now. We need to be kind with each other, but we also need to call a spade a spade. 
But this bastardizing of language that occurs in order to not offend has to stop. So under this rule of don't get into a fight, I would say start saying true things and don't say what you know to be false. But in our society, it's not, we, we, uh, masturbation is not self-abuse, it's self-care. People don't fornicate, we don't even know what the word means. We just sleep together or hook up. Adultery is just cheating, like it's a game. Surgeons don't perform genital mutilation. They offer gender-affirming care. An abortion? Well, this they call essential women's health care instead of what it truly is, child sacrifice to Moloch. We need to continue to use ugly words for ugly behaviors so that we know those behaviors are ugly and that we can repent of them and then invite our brothers and sisters to repent of them as well so that their life can be more beautiful and less ugly. Sin never helps. Sin always hurts and it always immerses us in a more ugly life. All right. <clears throat> The second rule we need to break is, along the lines of sex, never think about sex. I don't know if anybody has ever said that, but uh, it's important in the fallout and debris of what was the sexual revolution, this debris and fallout and uh, apocalyptic landscape that you and I were raised in, that we think about sex. And what I mean by that is, to quote the Australian apologist Frank Sheed, modern man practically never thinks about sex. He dreams about it, he jokes about it, he writes songs about it, but these are very different to thinking about it. Like, what is sex? Whose idea was it? What's the point of it? The very first commandment from God to humanity is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and it is the command to have sex. <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply, is what God said. And by be fruitful and multiply, you know, he didn't mean grow bloody mango trees. <laughs> Invent a calculator. I mean, have sex, have babies, fill the world. So sex is good, it's holy. In fact, if it weren't good, you couldn't make it bad. You know? Like, you can't make ugly things ugly. You can make moderately attractive things kind of ugly like me but you can't and you can make very beautiful things like lucifer very ugly but you can't make ugly things ugly like if i if i had a pile of trash poured out on the stage here and i kicked it and went now look at it it's still ugly nothing's changed the fact that sex can be made to be ugly is proof that it can and ought to be good and beautiful. I know this might go without saying for many of us, but sexual desire is good. Sexual desire, sexual delight, sexual anticipation, remembering are not synonymous with lust. And I think maybe a reason many of us think it's impossible to be pure is that we think that sexual desire is the same thing as lust. I had this conversation with Dennis Prager on my channel a while ago, and he seemed to have that idea that the two are just the same thing. Yeah, and if they're the same thing, then telling somebody not to lust is, that's insane. If they, were, if they meant the same thing, that would be like me telling you, don't think of a pink elephant. 
And if you are thinking of a pink elephant, you better stop. You bad, right? No, sexual desire is a God-given gift that propels us to make a gift of ourselves. Sexual desire, properly ordered, seeks to give of our strength. Lust is the inversion. It seeks to take the strength of another. That's why Jason Everett has said that pornography emasculates men. Because it robs men of the ability to be masculine. Because, and this, this is not a judgment from me. I was introduced to porn when I was eight. I had a steady diet of porn throughout my teenage years. The internet came in and it was game over. Um, manhood summarized might be stated, I think it's Luke 22, I don't even know, 19. You Protestants can tell me. But Christ says, <laughs> this is my body given up for you. All right? This is my body given up for you. Pornography teaches me to say the opposite. This is your body taken by me. I forsake your dignity for the sake of my selfish passions, and I miss the point of, of manhood. I would like to suggest a little course that I've put together that's free. It's called strive21.com. If you're a fella struggling with porn and you don't want to, or if you know a fella who's struggling with porn and he doesn't want to, send them to strive21.com. It's a 21-day detox from porn course I created, 100% free, very well-produced videos for 21 days and things like that. All right. Here's an excellent quote from Jose Maria Escriva. Listen to this. There is a need for a crusade of manliness and purity to counteract the savage work of those who think that man is a beast. And that crusade is your work. Amen. Three more. Number three, never give in to peer pressure. Mum ever say that to you? This is good advice if your peers are idiots. Very good advice. But you shouldn't be spending your time. I mean, you're an idiot. I'm an idiot. I get it. But we shouldn't be spending our time with those who glorify and encourage us to engage in shameful activity. You've got a, there's a sea of men here. And it's just an honor to be with you all. What a wonderful thing to come together in community, to grow in faith with each other. When I came back to Christ at the age of 17, I had to make some hard decisions about not spending time with those people because whenever I spent time with them, I'd end up drinking or all sorts of stuff. So we should give in to peer pressure. So find men in your life, not perfect men because they don't exist, but men who want to be good, want to be holy, and spend time with them and give in to that peer pressure. Two more. Number four, never risk it all. When I came home from World Youth Day at the age of 17, I remember my dad saying to me, because I was very enthusiastic about Jesus, I was the kind of Christian who was so happy it made you nauseous, you know? My dad said, listen, mate, I'm glad you've found religion. That's how he put it. <laughs> he said, just, you know, don't go overboard, just settle down, you know? And I love my dad, don't get me wrong, but this is from a fella who would very willingly paint his face red, blue, and yellow, and cheer for the crows, shouting at strangers. And I thought, if that's something to get excited about, certainly Christ and the salvation he won for me is, we should risk everything for Christ.
giving us the five rules that we men must break in order to deepen our walk with God this year as Pints with Aquinas. Always a great conversation for you to check out. Go to Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. That way you don't miss out on what's to come or go back and check out on what you might have missed. I am H. McKay, and when Catholics Coast to Coast continues, we're going to talk to moms. Catholic MomCast this week discussing what is it about setting our goals? What are the do's and don'ts? How can we really think about these spiritual, personal, and family lives around us. And we'll do that as we get into Catholic MomCast coming up on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcast today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Catholic MomCast. I'm your host, Maria Moreira Johnson, editor of CatholicMom.com. And today I'm joined by our entire Catholic Mom team as we gather for a look at our prayers, hopes, and dreams for 2024. Everybody, did you all have a nice Christmas? We think so. I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. Why don't we do another little round robin of introductions? I just introduced myself, so I can just throw this over to Lisa. Oh, hey, I'm Lisa Hendy, and I am the founder of CatholicMom.com and uh, the one who is its biggest fan because I love the work that that this team does, and I'm just grateful, grateful to be a part of the family. And we're grateful for you. How about you, Bailey? What are you doing for Catholic Mom and Holy Cross Family Ministries? Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Bailey Marquis, uh, and I'm the marketing coordinator here at Holy Cross Family Ministries. And that means I get to do a lot of marketing for Catholic Mom, which is definitely my favorite team, but don't tell any of my other coworkers. Uh Uh-oh, I think a couple of them listen to the podcast. Hopefully that won't get around. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Next to you is Allison. Hey, Allison. Hey, I am Allison Chigris, and I do social media for Catholic Mom, specifically Instagram, a little bit of Facebook. And my primary job for Holy Cross Family Ministries is with our sister ministry, Family Rosary. I am their content creator and social media specialist. Wonderful. And then here we go to the heart of Catholic Mom. Barb, let's hear what you say. Um, I'm Barb, and I'm the editor of Catholic Mom, and it is my privilege to work with all of these women, as well as the more than 140 volunteers who write for Catholic Mom, and they're the best. Oh, everybody's the best. We love what we do. Okay, let's get down to it. It's the new year. Do you guys make New Year's resolutions? Allison, do you? I think that you're probably one of the one of the people that uh, that you talk about being intense about the things that you do. Do you make New Year's resolutions? I do. I actually do it in September. And I also <laughs> do. <laughs> well, it's August. I take that back. I do an, like an autumn reset. So I do it in August, September, and then I redo them again in September. And then sometime around leap year, I reset them again. 
And um, so what's the rationale went, behind that? What's the... I, I'm just a goal. Like I am somebody that's motivated by goals. I like making lists. I like crossing things off my list. So I think that's just for me and my personality. I'm just super motivated by having something to shoot for. And it's really the same goals I've set every year for the last 50 something years, but it's just, uh, but I think my personality, I like to have goals and I like to cross things off lists. I've actually written things on a list just to cross it off. So. Oh my gosh. I've done that too. <laughs> Barb is totally shaking her head. 100%. 100%. I love. It feels love good. That you also have the reset button that you, that you reevaluate them. Uh, Barb, so you were appalled or are you a list maker? I am a total list maker, but I am not a revolution resolution maker. Oh. Um, I, for some reason, just, I can't get past like two or three days of it. So I just don't. That's fair enough. I, I, you know, I don't do very well with the resolutions because I think that they're unattainable, like, because they're not, they're not goals, right? They're like dreams. So like, oh, sure, I'd love to lose like 50 pounds this week, this year, you know, um, and then two minutes later, I'm having that last piece of pie. So I, I just don't, I just don't bother with it. But uh, Bailey, to you, are you, uh, are you a resolution person? I'm going to be honest. I am not a big resolutions person. I feel like I've chosen like words for the year. I remember like maybe 2019, I picked like present as my word of the year. So I wanted to be like more present, but I don't usually like set a bunch of personal goals in that way. Um, but I wouldn't count it out because I'm also like a goal oriented list kind of maker like Allison. So maybe in the future, I'll be making some resolutions. Interesting. Interesting. What about you, Lisa? Of course, every year I'm such a, I'm a hopeful person and I have four sets of resolutions, heart, mind, body, and soul. And, um, I usually write two or three resolutions under each of those. And I frequently carry them over from year to year. Um, and last year in January, I was actually just pulling out and looking at it on January 13th, I started what I was calling a list of 100 dreams for 2023. And oh uh, I had 33 of them written down because I was going to keep adding to them and uh, something happened. So, um, so yeah. And I'm, it's interesting. I mean, I know we're going to talk a little bit about more, more about this, but yes, I am a resolution maker. You're a resolution maker. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know really how to tackle it from, you know, as I think about it, because I do, I do like to set goals, which is, I think, different from a resolution. I think, you know, if you make a resolution, you're resolved to do something as opposed to setting a goal that you can look forward to. And, and I do, I do kind of set three goals, um, but I, I like that you've broken it down into those four categories, Lisa, but um, I do, I just think that they're, you know, random things that I want to do, like, like, I don't know, like one year it was to write a book or, you know, or, or to be more, more present to the housekeeping needs while I was working full time or something like that. But um, I think that there are things that I can take steps to achieve as opposed to this kind of open-ended dream uh, kind of things. So do any of you actually set, set goals that you, that you write down and, and look to work towards? Yeah, I just want to add to my uh, resolution addiction. So I do set a goal and then under that, I give myself 10 ways 
that I hope to achieve that goal. And I might not all reach them, but I, again, like to make my lists. So if I, if I said I wanted to lose weight, I'd list 10 possible attainable ways I could actually do that, like walk more or, you know, eat one less dessert this week or something like that. Like, so that's kind of how I set mine. I got the big lofty goal resolution and then 10 ways under each one. Uh, if I want to read more, I'll write 10 books I might want to read, something like that. Oh, I love that. Bailey, is that, uh, is that something that you do that you think about or, or do you have a different process? I feel like I need to adopt that process. I know, so, right? Thank you, Allison and Lisa's. <laughs> I love the four categories, but I feel like I just lack in this area where I'm not like writing down personal goals. I wonder, I'm trying to think about now, like why that is. Maybe it's because going from college, I just always had this list of things to do. And now with work, I have this list and obviously we all do, but I guess I just am less focused maybe I keep it a lot in my head. So I need to do some self-reflection and get it out on paper because it's very encouraging hearing Allison and Lisa share their uh, strategies. I know. Um, well, Barb, I have a, a kind of a related question to you. We seem to be, and especially in, in the work that we're doing where we, we see other people producing the, this content for us, um, there seems to be like a lot of social pressure to come up with these resolutions or to come up with these goals. Do you... Is that part of the reason why you don't buy into it or do you kind of shift a little bit and actually just create goals for yourself, not necessarily on January 1st? Yeah, I think some of it might be just a rebellion against the pressure of you have to do this <laughs> rage against 1st. the machine. <laughs> yeah, but some of it, some of it is just that I know myself and I am, I am very deadline driven when it comes to my job and I will make sure that everything is done on time, but please do not ask me to set any kind of a deadline that's not, you know, that that's related to me. Um, those don't happen. And so resolutions kind of don't work because that's an internal deadline as opposed mm -hmm. to an external deadline. Well, and you are very highly organized. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it is that taking a break, but let's take a shift because you have a, you have uh, a, a recent book that was on um, how to pray the, the liturgy of the hours. Mm -hmm. And so you are a writer in addition to an editor. Um, what are your spiritual priorities at this time of the year? Or, or do you just kind of move through the liturgical calendar and, 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 and that's how that rolls? I don't know that they change much during the course of the year. I mean, I, I pray the liturgy of the hours every day. And so you're following the liturgical year in that way, but the prayer doesn't change much. Um, and, you know, I, I do attend weekly adoration, which is very important for me. Um, something I want to do more is to pray the surrender novena. And I've, I've known some people who who have started doing that sort of on a loop. It's a nine day novena, like any other novena, but they just restart it after they finish it. And so I think for the new year, a prayer practice I would like to adopt is just to pray that novena every day. And I can bundle that in. The, the whole trick to making a habit work for me is to bundle it in with something I already do. So if I keep that prayer card in my, Bravery, where I pray the liturgy of the hours, it'll get done. 
Oh, that's good advice. I'm one of those people that loops that novena because, you know, it didn't stick the first time. I, I surrender for like five minutes and then I have to <laughs> restart again. Maybe we can oh, link to that in the show notes too. I'll make yeah, sure that I would make be a, a note good of one. that. Yeah, that would be a good one. So Lisa, what are what are your spiritual practices or what are your plans for, for adopting maybe something new or perfecting something that you've been doing? Yeah, I think... Um, it, they remain pretty consistent to me. My morning prayer time is sort of a non-negotiable and our, honestly, our Catholic mom daily gospel reflection is really a hallmark of my morning prayer time. Um, and one thing that I added for this year was trying to focus on commenting regularly on the daily gospel reflections. I don't get it done every day, but I really try when I sit with the daily gospel reflection to, as part of my morning prayer time, because I, unfortunately I don't get to daily, daily mass every day. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, but I do pray the liturgy of the word every day and, and frequently with our contributors. And it's been really interesting this year in my journaling practice as part of my morning prayer time to kind of take some journal notes from what our contributors are saying and, and to use that as a jumping off point in my daily journaling. Um, we have those ponder questions that they're um, giving us every day. And I, I frequently think through them, but this year I've really challenged myself to actually take that question and write something related to it. And all the moms out there who have little ones are like, how can you even sit in the morning? There will come a point where you don't have little kids underfoot and you can take time to do this. And um, it's a luxury. Um, and I don't take that for granted that I have that time in the morning to sit and to think about how a gospel that I've read last year, or the year before on the same day hits me in such a different way this year. So um, my prayer resolutions always relate to being more in the word, closer to Jesus and the Eucharist, especially during this year of Eucharistic revival. We don't have adoration at my parish, sadly, um, but Jesus is always there in the tabernacle. And I really want to be better during 2024 about making a regular holy hour. So I think that's going to be my biggest spiritual resolution for this coming year. Oh, I love that. How about you, Bailey? I was just thinking through this. Um, I think the new year always just brings personal reflection, even if I'm not writing down like set goals. So I think just kind of, Lisa mentioned it with the little kids, it's going to be hard once the baby comes to really be in the word. Um, and I had gotten advice from uh, a mentor, she's a mom of three, that to just really dive right in, uh, especially now until the baby comes and after, but while I have the time so that, you know, that can sustain me during that time. Um, and so I think just being consistent in scripture reading and prayer every day um, and kind of making that like a non-negotiable kind of thing. Oh, I love, I love hearing all of these angles and Allison, I always appreciate your, your perspective on, on these things because I, you really come at it as such a catechist. So I, please speak, teach. Oh, nothing, nothing to live up to that. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> my spiritual okay, goal. Let me change it to share. I'll change it to share. <laughs> My uh, spiritual director actually set mine for me. He really inspired me this year to do just 10 minutes of spiritual reading a day because I work in Catholic ministry, both um, as my side hustle and as my day-to-day -day work. I can sometimes get confused and lost that like, 
that God is not my work. He's pleasure. He is my God. I need to spend time in his presence and not just working for him. And I think that we can kind of do that with with our even if you're you know don't not in spirit in a catholic ministry we get like it's work i have to, i have to pray because it's like expected of me but instead to look at it like you get to do this we get to spend time and god is so generous that he will if you give him 10 15 minutes of your morning he will multiply your day saint francis de sales said that i've seen it in my own life yes you'll be busy and there were days when my babies were little that i was doing bible study in the bathroom because <laughs> that was the only time i my had to myself <laughs> embrace it bailey embrace it <laughs> but if seriously he's so generous that if you give him 10 15 minutes he'll multiply you'll get everything done but my um my spiritual director has me doing just 10 minutes of spiritual reading a day taking uh going from matthew's gospel through the whole bible just one chapter of a book a day just just slowly going through one chapter he even told me don't go any further if you want to go further don't do just five minutes with that and because I work for Family Rosary, I realized like our work is to inspire and encourage people to pray the rosary every day. And I wasn't doing that. And I went and did looked at Father Peyton's work and his beautiful um, reflections and like, why did he say to do this prayer? And he really inspired me that this is a powerful, beautiful prayer. And when I pray the rosary, I actually include all the other prayers the our fathers the hail marys i'm doing intercession i'm doing petition um i'm doing blessing and adoration and thanksgiving so i've included the rosary because it's this great structure and it's this powerful beautiful prayer that i get to do alongside our blessed mother so that's kind of my hopes and dreams for my spiritual life it's what i'm doing now and i'm hoping to continue to do that in the new year wow that's that's really great. I knew I knew that you would have something fabulous to share. <laughs> mic drop. Uh, ooh, mic drop. Well, I am uh, actually I've gone back to an old practice that I had um, before. I think that I think that most of us here are journalers. Um, I have returned to doing a prayer journal, where instead of just dumping my thoughts for the day, I have prayed through my day. Um, uh, if I'm journaling at the end of the day, it's, it's more like a, an examine, right? Where I'm just kind of reviewing the day and, and remembering to give thanks along with the petitions. Uh, but when I do it in the morning, I find that it's a beautiful way to just pray through, uh, not my expectations of my day, but being open to what God will bring to me that day. And so it really gives me a chance to pray for people by name. And it's kind of funny because sometimes I just list names here, Lord, you know, what's going on in their lives. And it's, it, it becomes a penmanship exercise, <laughs> but it gets, I, I feel like it gets that name down on the page and, and, and with it, my prayers are, are ascending for the people. So that's, that's what I've been doing now for probably a month. And I hope to continue um, to see where it takes me in 2024 with this, um, with this, I don't know, spiritual practice of praying on the page. Well, all of this is spiritual and beautiful, but a lot of times in the new year, we set some personal physical goals. And um, how are you going to prioritize your physical self-care during the post-holiday season? And are you guys um, doing that 
um, as we start 2024? Or is this an ongoing thing? Or do you poo-poo it? I don't Can know. Can I go first I feel... on this one? Please. Okay, because I, I mentioned looking back at my resolutions for last year and realizing that my year had been laid to waste because shortly after new year's last year is when I recognized that something was going on with my body and, uh, which led to a, a stage three best breast cancer diagnosis and double mastectomy and radiation and chemotherapy post. And so it's, um, it really did not end up being the year that I thought it was going to be in January when I wrote all those things down and I look back now and go, wow, you were really ambitious, but, um, there's actually something about going through um, something so physically challenging that's really changed my heart this year about what my physical resolutions are going forward, not just for next year, but you know, for the time that I have left, which is um, self-care in a way that um, nurtures my body, um, not only to be strong because that's a desire. I'm very weakened, um, the state that I'm in right now is very physically weak and I, I want to be stronger than I am and I'll work toward that. But I also want to nurture my body, which means um, hydrating. It means sleeping. Um, it means saying no to some things that I'd rather not say no to that I want to say yes to. And it especially means um, listening to my inner voice when I sense that something might be wrong, um, like I did last year and getting to the doctor. And I want to just nag all the moms out there. We are so busy. And a lot of times you will put everybody else's care before your own. And so January is the time that if you haven't done it recently, it's a great time to call, make those medical appointments, um, get in to the dentist, whatever it is, you wouldn't let your kids go six years without going to the doctor. And a lot of times some of us will say, well, I'll go, if I just need to lose these like five or 10 pounds or whatever, we play that game with ourselves. Um, I did that certainly don't wait. Um, your, your physician and other healthcare providers are there to keep, to help you nurture your body. God gave you a body, um, to serve other people. Um, and so love your body well and go to the doctor. <laughs> so yeah. There's my nag. There's my nag. And <laughs> not a so, nag. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, I say it because I know it's so hard for all of us. We find all the reasons not to do it. But the good news about, you know, um, intervention is that a lot of times you can stop things. And if you can't, then you've at least know, understand what it is that you're dealing with. Um, so don't not go to the doctor because you're afraid or embarrassed. Just go do it. So there you go the best advice. That's the mic drop, right? Baby? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> well, the entire Catholic mom team looking at our prayers, our hopes, our dreams for 2024. Great stuff. Anytime when you check out Catholic Momcast at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I hope this week's conversations have helped you as you jumpstart into a new week, wherever you are. I hope you are staying warm and we will definitely do this again next weekend. Remember to let God define who you are, and I'll see you again on Catholics Coast to Coast.